Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Yeah, we're going to turn around in Scripture a lot, so there's Bibles in your aisles, so um, we're, going to, we're going to be in a few Scriptures this morning. Uh, but let's read this together, Matthew 26, 36 through 42. Then Jesus, with them, his disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to him, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, this cup, which represented the sufferings of Jesus, if this cup cannot pass... Your will be done, not my will, but yours be done. In verse 43, and again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, we've come and just ask you to um, meet us this morning as we, as we open your word, as we uh, press into our whole being and becoming whole people, um, fully alive, fully human images of you. Um, would you speak to us? Would you meet us? And if you would, would you, um, I want to ask God to, um, I want to ask you to ask God to speak to you, just give you a moment of silence. Um, specifically, uh, Jesus asked someone who was trying to get well um, and get healed at the pool of Bethsaida, he said, do you want to get well? And I want you to hear God ask you that question as we start 2019. Do you want to get well? Would you just hear God's spirit say that over you? Ask you that. Well, God, we love you, and we need you, and do what you want in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. All right, so 2019, emotional health. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing that you're excited or a bad thing that you're excited. Um, For those who have been disciples of Jesus for a very long time, there are some things that were transformed by just pure grace, right? Just you grow in something, and you see God's spirit work, and he just transforms you supernaturally and enables you to do things that you could not do. Other things, God's kind of like, I'll help you with that, but you're going to need to do a lot of heavy lifting. Um, in, in Christian life, we emphasize a lot of the spiritual components to maturity, spiritual maturity. We emphasize reading scripture, praying, living in community, serving the, your, the poor, living, uh, being a person of justice, um, all good and important things. Um, but they don't address a lot of the maturity issues in becoming a fully formed disciple of Jesus. Um, and so what I want to talk about this morning is that it's possible to pray, read, read the Bible, be in community live on mission, and to be spiritually immature uh, and and, and not grow up in Christ's likeness. What happens is sometimes we focus so much on the spiritual muscle that we ignore the emotional muscle. 
Um, and so I want us to talk about um, emotional health. What do we do when we are um, emotionally at unrest? Uh, and so a few things to remember as we go through this series. I just want to remind us real quick as a caveat. Number one, remember this, that this is a marathon, not a sprint. Don't leave here with a ton of ambition of going, oh my gosh, I'm going to go and fix myself and be mature overnight. Like, this is a marathon, not a sprint, all right? Um, this is not about, uh, this is sometimes, there's sometimes where God breakthrough, breaks through in a moment, and that's great, and we do that a lot and think about that a lot. But from my experience and countless others, there's no shortcuts to emotional health. So this is a marathon, not a sprint. Number two, I do think it's important to think about your motivations for improving. Um, because if your motivation for becoming more mature and more Christ is about um, more about your image, more about being admired, you're not going to go anywhere. All right? And so it's very important to think about your motivations for changing is to become more like Christ, to grow in the fullness of Jesus, and to be, take on his stature and bring the presence of him to this church community and to your relationships. And if you do that, you're likely going to be free and you're going to grow. Um, to test the genuineness of your motivations is basically is you'll see your growth in every aspect of your life. Um, I don't know about you, but it's my experience that we often treat our coworkers and our acquaintances and friends much better than we treat our children and our family and our spouses, right? And so if you want to test the maturity level, you're going to see this come out in all of your relationships. And you're going to see growth. So um, before I dig into this, I just want to look at Jesus' life, and I just want us to flip around in the Bible. So turn Mark 7. I just want us to look at various passages of Jesus' emotional life in the Gospels. We're going to start with Mark, then we're going to go to Luke and John, come back to Matthew. So Mark 7, verse 30. Mark 7, verse 30. There's, there's Bibles here too, by the way, if you need them, you know. Yeah, and no pressure though, but you can just listen, but bring your Bibles, it's great. All right, chapter 7, verse 30. Uh, and uh, Mark, here we go, Mark 7, verse 30. Did I get this right? I'm, you know what? I may have written the wrong verse down on this one. Just hang in here with me. Okay. Um, I wrote in the wrong verse, but here's what happens. <laughs> Jesus is uh, he's doing ministry, and he says, I want to go away, and I want to go be by myself um, with the Father, and he's tired. Um, so he experienced being worn down, maybe even stressed. Um, we don't know. Um, and then he actually goes and experiences a big, massive crowd, and it says that he has compassion on them. And so in this section, the verse that I forgot to write down, uh, basically Jesus experienced his, his weariness. He's tired. He's experienced the emotion of being tired and stressed. And then he experiences all these people, and he doesn't say, whoa, people, get away from me. I'm tired and stressed. He has compassion on them. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Hopefully I got this one right. All right, Luke chapter 10, verse 21. Yes, in the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Jesus experienced joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, he was not all, and he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So Jesus experienced joy. Uh, flip over a couple of chapters, Luke 12, 49. Luke 12, 49. 
He says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it would already be kindled. So Jesus wasn't always on an emotional high all the time. Now he's, he's saying, I have a baptism. He's talking about his death to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. That word distress is dread. Like he knows something that's in the future that's going to happen and he's dreading it. Not that he thinks something might happen. Do you ever know something's like going to happen in the future and you were just dreading it? This is Jesus right here. He is dreading what is about to happen. He is distressed. John 2, flip over to John chapter 2. Now, John 2, verse 13. I don't have time to get into the entire context, but uh, Jesus is, is going to the synagogue. It's the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So basically, people turned the church into a market. Uh, they, this was a form of injustice to the poor and the way that they would profit off of the poor coming to worship. And so Jesus made a whip of cords and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the temples. <laughs> Listen, and he told those, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And it said that his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus here is experiencing anger, rage out, out, out of his zeal. Now, this is not one of those passages um, that we like taught in Sunday school. I don't know about you, but I was a child of the 80s, and we had this thing called flannel board. If you don't know what that is, Google it. But there was this flannel board, and this was not one of them. You didn't have, like, angry-eyed Jesus <laughs> sitting there with a whip and, like, driving the merchants out. Ah, ah, get away, get away. Jesus has a whip. You didn't have this story growing up. This wasn't one of them. You know, now I guess the kids have iPad Jesus. They'll probably, like, look back and be like, remember when we had iPads in Sunday school? But, <laughs> yeah, G- Jesus here is angry. We, we sweep this stuff under the rug. We like the nice Jesus. We like, we, we like the Jesus that's like holding a child with a lamb in the other hand. And, and, and so this is here. We see Jesus' anger. I mean, he's got a lot of emotions. John 11, one more, just because it's so good. John 11, verse 33. 11, verse 33. Jesus is at a funeral. He sees Mary weeping. Verse 33. And he says, when Jesus saw her weeping and Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved, deeply moved. It means he was, in his spirit, he was troubled. He was torn up on the inside. And he was, in his spirit, he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. He's talking about his best friend, Lazarus. And it says, Jesus wept. Jesus sobbed. He was broken down in a flood of tears. And it said, see how much Jesus loved his friend. So Jesus experiences grief. He experiences these things. And what I'm getting at is this, is that Jesus was an emotional being. I just looked up all the, all the phrases, the Jesus emotions he experienced throughout the Bible, compassion, anger, indignant, troubled, greatly distressed, very sorrowful, depressed, deeply moved, grieved, sighed, sighed wept, sobbed, groaned in agony, surprised, amazed, rejoiced very greatly, full of joy, greatly desired, loved. You know, there, there's a list of emotions that we enjoy, and there's a list of emotions we don't enjoy, right? But I want to show you that Jesus was an emotional being because he was a human being. 
But not only that, he was divine, that God is an emotional being. Um, all throughout the Old Testament, we see the emotions of God. Um, and, and one of the greatest things you'll see is that the Holy Spirit is an emotional being, right? We talk about this a lot, that the Holy Spirit, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. We say that a lot, but do you realize that the Holy Spirit has emotions? And why is the Spirit grieved in Ephesians 4.30? It says because we have relational uh, dis- disarray. We've relationally been broken. The relationships have gone broken because we've let these emotions um, not be dealt with. And then we, it comes out in other ways. And so um, we worship an emotional God. We worship an emotional Jesus. And you and I are very emotional beings. That's just one thing I just want to get out in the very front. I know you know that, um, but it's important because I think when we th- think about Jesus, we kind of think of him as much very Spock-like, just deep voice and very controlled and, and cold and blessed are the poor and the spirit. And like, I don't know how to talk like Spock, but you know. If we think of him as sometimes just cold and alien-like, but we got to remember that we are made in God's image. We are made in God's image, and if God is an emotional being, we are emotional beings. And so um, there's probably a lot of things and mixed things you've heard growing up about emotions. We're going to be digging into some of the family history, generational sin, breaking the power of the past. Perfect timing, right? All of you are like, I went home for my family, and it was great for one day. And then all the dysfunction came out, and I was ready to go home. Um, but uh, so uh, we all, we, we'll get into that um, weeks to come. Come back next week, next two weeks, three weeks. Um, but you've probably heard things like, you need to tell your emotions where to take a hike, right? You probably maybe you've heard even things like, quoted Jeremiah 7-9, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. So your heart is wicked. So if you have emotions from your heart, it's wicked, right? Has anybody ever heard that? Um, maybe you've heard things like, like, like you need to, to, to only experience the, the good emotions. I think what happens is we, we become very rigid with our emotions. We, become, we moralize our emotions. We think that the emotions we enjoy are morally good and the emotions we don't enjoy are morally bad. And, and, and we become very rigid. How many of you, I mean, just, how many of you ever experienced like self-judgment towards yourself for experiencing messy emotions? A lot of us. And the thing is, is what God is not rigid towards us. God radically accepts your messy emotions. He radically accepts the messy, hard emotions that you have. Isn't that amazing? That he is gracious towards you. He loves you. And that the biggest thing I want you to take away today is like to remove the rigidity that you put on yourself of those emotions. Because our God is not a God of rigidity. He's a God of redemption. And he wants to take your emotions and redeem your emotions. And so a lot of us in Christianity, we've been discipled with our, with our mind, right? Study scripture soul, pray, meditate. Uh, we've been discipled communally. But how many of us have been discipled in our emotions? God does not say, I want to like, like basically mature you in one-fifth of your life. He's like, I want to mature all of you. I want to, every single part of your being to become mature. And so um, the, the challenge is for all of us, myself included, is we don't know what to do with the negative hard emotions. We, most of us know how to do the, the, the good emotions, right? Make them last. Spread them out. But what do we do with the hard, difficult, messy emotions? Um, so we all have emotional unrest, some more than others. Some have a baggage full. Some have a suitcase full. But we all have some kind of emotional unrest. Um, and the majority of people are running or numbing their emotions. 
And um, Christianity, the Western form of Christianity, um, caricaturized, sometimes doesn't help us truly disciple us in our emotions. Um, and I'm not talking about the, the scriptures, but just some of the, the cultural of Christianity. For example, when we think of Christianity, we think of Jesus is alive, he's coming back again, we're going to reign, reign with him, raise again, the tomb is empty, the kingdom of God is here, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the church as a family, we have God as Father, <laughs> take your, give your emotions and tell him to take a hike because this is all good news. So get that stuff out of here, right? Now, is everything I just said true? Yes, Jesus is alive. He's come again. He's coming back. He's going to make all things new. Is there a time and place to tell your emotions to take a hike? Absolutely. If we never did, we would go crazy. We do short-term strategy. We do need some time to know how to deal with those emotions on a short-term strategy. But long-term, if we're always telling our emotions, negative emotions to take a hike, we are numbing ourselves. And our options with Christianity is usually we, we do a couple of things. Number one, our first option is to fake it. So I'm going to come to church and I'm going to put on it. How are you, brother? How are you, sister? I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. I'm great. It's like there's no room for any messiness or brokenness because if I do, then I, I'm not like mature, right? So mature emotions isn't always positive emotions. Like if someone's just lost, just think of all of us in this room. I mean, so many people of you have lost family members. And the mature emotion is, that, is grief. The mature emotion is not, well, you need to rejoice in the Lord, brother. Like, you just lost your mom. No. But the mature emotion is like, no, you should be experiencing sadness, grief, those emotions. And so option one is often we fake it. Number two is we, we numb it. Um, we, we, we don't feel it. We push it down with drugs or alcohol or a bottle. And I love what Brene Brown says. She says, if you numb the negative emotions, you also numb the positive that you can't experience joy and life and peace if you're to the fullest if you're numbing these emotions. And then third, we, we either fake it, number two, we numb, or three, we just distract ourselves, right? And we, 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 through education, um, career, uh, sex, hobbies, social media, entertainment, you're like, I don't do that. I'm on season four of, of Breaking Bad, and I don't distract myself. <laughs> you're like, I'm doing it right now. Um, now, is there anything wrong with those things? No, but when we use entertainment and these things to distract ourselves over the long haul, there's one common feature between faking it, numbing it, and distracting it. It's running away from those emotions. Um, God wants to offer us a different way because rigidity with our emotions in a complex world is toxic. And God's way is not rigidity with your emotions, it's grace. He is gracious with your emotions. He knows how to hear them. Throughout the Psalms, I mean, a third of the Psalms are lament. I mean, you read crazy stuff in the Psalms. Psalms 88, there's no good news in it. David, the guy after God's own heart, would be like, you'd read some of the stuff he'd write, and you'd be like, can you say that to God? Like, how dare you? Like, how can they let this in the Bible? Um, how did he get away with this stuff? And so um, we, we need, uh, we, God offers us a different way. He wants to redeem us and use our emotions as a tool to help us know God and his emotions for his world. And so, on the one hand, we might obsessively brood over our feelings. That's not healthy either. On the other hand, we push aside, we permit only emotions we deem legitimate, um, but we fail to see that these messy emotions are actually inherently valuable. They're actually inherently valuable because they're telling us what God wants to say to us. They're saying what is happening in our heart. 
that God's trying to teach us about ourselves and about our world, those messy emotions are inherently valuable. And if, and if we push them away, it's kind of like that chocolate cake that stays in the fridge that you know is there, that, you, that you're, like, you're, you're ignoring and hoping it goes away, and it just keeps coming back to mind. This is what happens when we push these emotions away. They, they are going to come out. They're, going, they're not going away, right? Because what happens when you tell yourself that sermon? Jesus is alive. Rejoice always. He's risen again from the dead. The Holy Spirit is here. Kingdom of God is here. And then you're like, you tell your emotions to leave. And their emotions are like, no, I'm not going anywhere. And they're like, your emotions are kind of like giving you the finger. <laughs> and you're like, they're like, I'm not leaving. And you're like, I said leave. And they stay. Is that just me? Anybody else? Okay. Just making sure I'm not crazy. What do you do then? What do you do when your emotions are like, screw you, Brian, I'm staying. You're not, I'm not leaving anywhere. I don't know about you, but me and my emotions, that's kind of the way we talk. We don't always get along. Um, and so the internal pain always comes out, and who pays the price? We do. Our children do. Our spouses do. Our family does. Our, ch- our colleagues So I want us to look back at this passage, and Jesus gives us a lot of tools on how to deal with emotional pain. It all gets better from here, guys. Just trust me. Week one, always the hardest, Um, but it's worth it. And so I, I encourage you to embrace the pathway of descent because Jesus emptied himself on the cross, and the way to the resurrection is first to embrace descent to embrace the descent so that you can experience fullness of life. And so Matthew 26, we see that we need to embrace those two things, the theology of the cross, but we also need to experience the theology of resurrection, that there is victory, there is triumph, there is healing in these things. We can become more mature and transformed into his likeness. But that doesn't always mean ignoring these emotions. Matthew 26, a couple of nights before Jesus dies. I want you to hear this. First of all, verse 36. Remember, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And so taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrow and troubled with them. Now, this is good news. If Jesus needed community, and he's the son of God during suffering, we need community during suffering. So Jesus needed it. We need it. All right? Uh, And he said, my soul is very sorrowful. That word in Greek is excruciating with inner pain. Sorrowful. Even to death, he's troubled. And he says that that this is just like the most intense language of of agony. Remain here and watch with me. So he he says that he's anxious. He's nervous. His his soul is overwhelmed. It's crushing him. Um, Now, Jesus doesn't, like, do the, like, Buddhist thing and say, like, I just need to detach from pain. and It doesn't really matter if I live or die. I'm Spock, right? He doesn't do that. Um, he doesn't say, like, bless you, bless you. Paul says rejoice later in the New Testament. So here I am. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to put on a Hillsong worship album. I'm going to get my incense out, and I'm going to sit here in the midst of this, and I'm just going to make all this go away. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to go drink some coffee, do a Bible study, and go for a run, and put on some more Hillsong music, and it's just going to be great. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus names accurately his feelings. And that's very important that we put accurate names to our feelings. He doesn't, he, 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 he doesn't also do the secular thing, like, let's just go out for dinner, God, disciples. Let's go get some wine, some hummus. Let's hang out. You know, there's a great pita, pita shop over down the road I've heard about. It's got great reviews on Yelp. And we're just going to hang out. No. He goes to the place of pain. 
He goes and he sits in it. He goes right to the heart of those emotions and stares them in the face. Why? Because Jesus was emotionally mature. He was emotionally mature. He is the picture. Why do you think? You think that all the disciples that wrote the stuff were that emotionally mature to use all this language that we saw? No, they got it from Jesus because Jesus was emotionally mature. And so keep that in mind that you and I are disciples of Jesus. And so we are also to follow him and become mature in our emotions. Now, the book that we're reading, we're using it as a framework for this series, or gospel communities are reading it, uh, Emotional Healthy Spirituality. Pete Scazzaro, the author, he kind of just tells his story in the book. It's kind of like a biography in some ways at the beginning. Um, but basically, uh, his wife, they, they plant this church. The church is going through a lot of division, um, p- potential church split. The wife is like, I'm done with the church. She's like, I'm not going to your church because you're a horrible leader. <laughs> and he's like, crisis mode. And this guy, it's not like he was living in sin, having an affair, doing anything. He just, he, he, he just never matured, and he was reading scripture, praying, meditating, living in community, but he just didn't emotionally mature. And he realized this, and he kind of has this awakening that he was all these things, but he wasn't present. He was stressed, negative. Um, yeah, he was planning a church, leading a church, but this started him down a path of realizing he's, the whole point of the book is this. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. That it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Let me give you some examples. These are all quotes from the book. You can be a dynamic, gifted speaker for God in public, but a loving spouse and parent at home. Ouch for someone like me. You can function as a church board member and be unteachable, insecure, and defensive. You can, be dep- uh, you can have depression, anger, and displacing it on other people, yet know the Bible. You can fast and pray a half day a week as a spiritual discipline for years and constantly critical of others, justifying it as discernment. You can lead thousands of people in Christian maturity while driven by a deep need to compensate for a deep sense of failure. You can pray for deliverance for the demonic realm when in reality you are simply avoiding conflict, repeating an unhealthy pattern of behavior traced back to the home in which you grew up. The fact is, is in the church and at Missio Dei, all of this is absolutely true. Like all of us, we, we teach people how to do the spiritual stuff. We teach people to pray, scripture, community, but we don't teach people how to feel and feel well, and navigate emotional pain. So you can look very spiritual, but be unhealthy people. You can love Jesus, but be six years old and still passive aggressive. You can read, know the entire Bible, but just be grouchy around your family. I, know you, I mean, some of you are shaking your head. You're like, I know that guy. You can love Jesus, but just still living in baggage from your family of origin. And the author would say this, if you are not emotionally mature, you are not mature at all. And so this, we, we must see that the Spirit of God disciples us in all of our life, seeping into our rewiring us, transforming us, every fiber of our being to become more like Jesus. Now, keep in mind... Um, that, that, again, pushing aside our emotions, um, we, we lose our capacity to develop skills, to, to mature, to grow. Um, psychologist uh, Susan David, in a TED Talk, she says this. She says, hundreds of people say things like this to me. I just thought this was so compelling. She says, they come to her and say, I don't want to feel disappointed. I just want to make this pain go away. She gets these, these kind of comments. And she says, I understand that, but you have dead people's goals. <laughs> 
And think about that. That's so true. It's like it's the, only the dead people who never have their heart broken. It's only dead people who never have relational betrayal. It's only dead people who never are anxious or concerned or worried or feel sadness or grief. It's like you have dead people's goals. It's like, ah, oh, that's so true. I want to be alive. Jesus wants us to be fully alive, fully alive people. And so he comes to us knowing, comes to his Father. With, he gives us, so he gives, first of all, first thing is, is he gives God his feelings. Second, he gives God his desires. Listen, he says, I don't, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to, I don't, this cup represents the, the death of Jesus coming. Take this cup and let it pass from me. He just tells God flat out his desires. He's like, hey, God, this death thing, I don't want to do it. We often kind of skirt around the issue, say other things, uh, but we just, if, if, I love, Jesus asked the disciples one day, he says, what do you want me to do for you? I love that question. Personally, I ask it all the time because it helps me exactly say what I desire and not spiritualize it. And if you do that, if you will say to God exactly what you desire, he will take it and he will reshape it, he will affirm it, he will deny it if it's like, that's not of me. But if you ask God this question, if you let God say, what do you want me to do for you? And you give him the honest answer, he will meet you. He will meet you where you are and he will love you. He will give you his grace and his compassion and he will protect you and guide you and comfort you. And this is what Jesus does. He's like, death, I don't want to do it. He's like, is there another way? He's like, the Holy Spirit hasn't taken on flesh. Could he come down and... I don't know, couldn't, couldn't be my sister over here in the flesh or something? Like, God, Jesus, I don't know what the conversation, this probably was like, an, it was throughout the whole night, remember? This is probably like a two-hour conversation. He's like, send the Holy Spirit down, he can do it. I've done this for three years, 33 years. 33 years, 30 years of living, three years of ministry, disciples are driving me crazy. I'm sweating blood here. I, he tells Jesus exactly, prayer is a safe place to bring all that we are before God. So tell God how you feel. And, and just, I would just encourage you this. This is just like a real small tidbit. Write this down if it's helpful. Say, I feel or I'm noticing I'm feeling this, not I am. Because if you say, I am sad enough, you will believe that's your identity. If you say, I am angry enough, you will believe that's your identity. That is not your identity. You say, I notice I'm feeling this. I am feeling this. There's a separation because your, your emotions are data. They are data saying, this is what, God, what is happening in my heart. This is where I'm going to stray from God, or this is confirming where I am in line with God. They show you what you value. If you are outraged when you watch the news, it's because you value fairness. It's because you value justice. So those emotions are data, but they are not directive. So those emotions are data. They are not your deliverer. God is your deliverer, and he wants to meet you. And so be honest with him. Give him your desires. Give him your good desires. What I, I think, to me, I think through these categories. Is this a good desire? If it is, I say, God bless it. I give this desire to you. I know these are good. I give them to God. If it's a bad desire, sometimes we have bad desires. What do we do with those? For me, it's messy. Sometimes I'm guilty of them. Sometimes I ignore them, press them down. Sometimes I repent of them. Sometimes I, I brood over them way too long and it affects me. Um, and then we have ambiguous desires, right? I don't know if they're good. I don't know if they swirl around in my head a lot. What do we do with that? What do we do when there's when with these, these, these ambiguous desires. Um, and, and, and so what, what we do with those is we, we give those to God in prayer. And, that, and, and the deal is, is he, he gives God his desires, even the ones that weren't good. Let this be a paradigm shift for you. 
Like, what if you were to give God all of your desires? Like, if you're in the gym, guys, and there's that girl who's, like, working out next to you, and her Lululemon is just a size too small. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you. And you're like, I want to look. I want to stare. I want to lust. What do you do with that bad desire? Right? What do you do with that? What if you were to bring God into that? What if you were to bring God into that bad desire? You're stressed. You want to look at porn. What if you're like, God, this is a bad desire. I bring, this in, I bring you into this. What would happen to us in our maturity? We bring God into those desires for sin, those desires that they were like, oh, this feels so good, but I don't want to do it. We bring God into those things. Or what if you're, what if you're single and you just so badly want to be married? Or what if you're married and you so badly wish you were single again? Like seriously, if you're honest, you're like, I want a divorce. I, admit I was young, I made a wrong decision. What if you brought God into that? What if you were actually allowed to say that to God? I want a divorce. I think about this. I lust after this. I have. God will meet you, and he will transform you. I promise you. I promise you that. Um, so he gives God his desires. Thirdly, he gives God his trust. So not only does he have this desire, but he trusts him. He says, but not my will, yours be done. So we give God our feelings, we give God our, our desires, and we give him our trust. So we, 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 there's a difference between strongest desire and, and our biggest, um, deepest desires, right? Back to the gym illustration, strongest desire, probably not to read, memorize scripture in that moment, right? Strongest desire is I want to lust after this person. I want to, I want to lust after this person. Deepest desire is I want to grow up to be like Jesus. I want to mature into being like Jesus, so there's a strong desire, but we have to get to what is our deepest desire. And we give God and we trust God to surrender all these, these desires and trust that he is going to transform us. Surrender is the place where your emotions start to get healthy. And God radically accepts your emotions. And so it's time to just name them to God, to meet with him, to let him transform you. And I just want to invite us to go on this journey together for the next six weeks. Um, and so I'm excited that, that, that you can learn to, to like, that we can all begin to learn to just be aware of our emotions, to be um, aware of what's going on. And that's scary for some. It's going to force us to deal with some things, but it's going to usher you into reality. And denial is a powerful source that we all, I think, want to avoid, right? Denial, it, denial has, does really horrible things for society. It keeps you know, racist laws going for 50 years, right? Because of denial. The last thing I want for you, children of God, is for you to deny what is going on with yourself. For you to enter into the God's reality that he knows you, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, but you are broken and he wants to redeem you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> As we pray, I just want to encourage us in our response um, just to meet God in our emotions. For some of you uh, right now, your loving life, you've got the job of your dreams, you're grateful to be alive, you're hopeful, you're happy. I just want to encourage you to turn that into worship. Those are all good emotions that we enjoy. Enjoy them. I invite you to enjoy them. Some of you were not allowed to actually experience joy in your upbringing. 
So as we've talked about a lot of negative emotions, some of us were denied the freedom to experience good emotions. So I want to invite you to into that. For some others of you, you came in this morning and people are like, how was your, how was your break? Good, great. But in denial, there's stuff that you're not dealing with. And there's some nasty emotions. And for you, man, just take a moment to listen to God's voice. And I just want to pray over a certain few things people may be experiencing in the season that are just common. And I want to pray over several of you. The Holy Spirit would come upon you, enter into your being. You'd experience his voice, power, resurrection. I want to pray for those who are just experiencing loneliness. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're in community, but you just feel alone. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. That you would experience God's presence, that God is with you, He loves you that you are not alone, that people love you, that what you experience is a lie from the enemy, that you are unlovable or unwanted. That's a lie from Satan. God loves you, needs you, wants you, cares for you. Um, Would you experience his embrace this morning? Others, um, I want to pray for those who are just experiencing depression. Maybe you feel pressed down in this season. There are no words that bring you comfort. You don't know what's going on. You don't understand how to get out. I pray that you would embrace God exactly at the bottom. Embrace his presence with you. Embrace his, his, him just looking at you with a smile upon you. You are my beloved. I'm well pleased with you. That he's gracious to you, loves you, needs you, cares for you. You are worthy. You're worthy of him. He meets you where you are. God, would you uh, move in this time? Pray that you would move in our hearts as we worship you. Um, In Jesus' name.